Right, it's now time to hear from the Lord. And we shall start with a song. The song is just a closer walk with thee. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to Just a closer walk with thee Granted Jesus is my plea Daily walking close to thee Let it be, dear Lord, let it be is my plea daily walking close to thee let it be dear Lord let it be when my feeble life is old Closer walk, just a closer walk. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Just a closer walk, just a my plea. Whoa. 
Gracious Father, just a closer walk with thee. Father God, that is our desire, Lord Father. That you will teach us, you will make us, you will mold us into the person you want us to be, into the church you want us to be. That our walk is closer with you with every passing day, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that none of us will be satisfied with status quo. But we will want to get closer to you, Lord Father. Give us that desire. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that we will do what is right in your sight. We surrender this time into your hands, and I pray, Lord, that you will minister unto us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Now, sometime between 155 AD and 177 AD, a man named Polycarp was martyred by the Romans for refusing to publicly denounce Jesus Christ and declare that Caesar is king. He is alleged to have declared the following words, and I quote, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season, and after a little while it is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Who is this Polycarp? He is one of the earliest disciples of the Apostle John, and he was later ordained by the Apostle John to be a bishop in one of the cities in Asia Minor, a city called Smyrna. Our interest today is not Polycarp. Our interest today is Smyrna. The Bible has many letters written to different churches or to individual people. Paul wrote letters. Peter wrote letters. John wrote letters. But the most important letters that have ever been recorded are the seven letters that Jesus Christ dictated to seven churches in Asia Minor. Each letter was dictated to an individual church, but all the letters had to be studied by all the churches. And today, if we call ourselves a church, we need to study those letters. These were letters that had to be studied carefully then, and these are letters that have to be studied carefully now. There were areas to be appreciated in most of these churches, but there were also areas of deficiencies in most of these churches. And we need to look at ourselves. What are the areas that we need to appreciate ourselves about? What are those good things that we do? Where are we failing? Have we become that perfect church which Jesus Christ is looking for? And so we need to study these letters. There are lessons to be learned by all churches. There are corrections to be made. 
There are warnings to be heeded, but there are also rewards to every church that was prepared to look at itself through the eyes of Jesus Christ and be the church that Jesus Christ wanted it to be. A few weeks back, we studied the first letter dictated by Jesus Christ. It was to the church at Ephesus. I threatened my wife this morning that I was going to have a quiz, but I, but I don't intend to do that right now. Maybe at the end of the whole thing. Okay. Now, the major failing at the church at Ephesus was that it had lost its first love. If they chose to change and learn to overcome their deficiency, they were promised a reward. The church at Ephesus were told that they would eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, if they could only overcome their deficiency. Today we move on to the second church and the letter written to it, the church at Smyrna. Now, as we read and study this letter, let us try to relate its message to our church today. If this letter was Christ's personal letter to the Bread of Life Fellowship, where would we stand? Where did we stand in relation to the message to the church at Ephesus? Where do we stand in relation to the message to the church at Smyrna. After all, this is the year of revival, and therefore we have to be prepared for revival. And so shall we open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and let's read verses 8 to 11. Revelation 2, 8 to 11. And I shall read from the New King James Version. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This is the shortest of the seven letters. It has just four verses. But in these four verses, Jesus Christ has a lot to say to the church at Smyrna. And as we go through the four verses of this letter, we will recognize one particular character that stands out, and that is the steadfast perseverance in the midst of persecution that you see in the church at Smyrna. The steadfast perseverance in the midst of persecution that you see 
in the church at Smyrna. And therefore, the title of today's study is simply this, Revival in the Church, Persevering in Persecution. Let's start with verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Now Jesus Christ himself establishes who he is right at the beginning of this letter. He calls himself the first and the last, and the one who was dead and came back to life. Now ask yourself this question, why did he address himself in these terms? Why didn't he say that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Why didn't he say that he was the savior of the world? Or why didn't he use one of those great I am's that we find in, in John? And why didn't he say that I am the great shepherd? No, but he didn't use those words. He said, I am the first and the last. I am the one who was dead, but has come back to life. We need to understand the context and the times in which this church in Smyrna was living in to try to understand why Jesus used these introductory words. This was the time of maximum persecution to Christians and the church. Today is nothing. Quote any part of the world. Because you get to read Christian history. It's an entirely different story. History records that the Roman emperors such as Nero and Dominitan and Tiberius and many others were consumed with the idea that Christianity had to be abolished and all Christians killed. This is not a new story. This is not the story we hear after BJP came to power. This is there long before India gained independence. The Romans were very, the Roman leadership was absolutely consumed with this idea that Christianity had to be abolished and all Christians had to be killed. Why? For two reasons. Number one, because their emperors believed that Christianity was a threat to their existence. Christians stopped worshipping Roman emperors. Instead, they turned their worship to Jesus Christ. Now, the Roman emperors considered themselves to be gods. And therefore, as gods, they deserved, they wanted, they, they required, they desired the worship of every person in their kingdom. And suddenly you have this group of people who say, no, we will not bow down to Caesar any longer. Because he is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the Roman leadership, the Roman emperors felt that there was a huge threat to their existence. Who was this new king who was coming up who was now worthy of worship? That they were going to lose it out lose out on it. And so they wanted to get rid of Christianity in total. They wanted to kill every single Christian. 
Church history has recorded that more than six million Christians were martyred at the hands of these Roman emperors. We are not talking about tens and hundreds and thousands. We are talking about six to eight million. Different records show different figures. Six million Christians were martyred at the hands of these Roman emperors. Some were fed to lions. Others were stretched out in racks. Some were wrapped in sheep sheepskin and then fed to wild animals to be torn apart. Others were crucified. Would you have liked to live in that time? We weep when somebody breaks one knuckle of your hand. But what happened there was much, much, much more. The second reason, because the Christians at Smyrna did not capitulate to all kinds of temptations. When we look at Smyrna, the city, we will recognize that temptations were rife. But the Christians in Smyrna did not bow down to temptations. See, the Christians at Ephesus had capitulated and they lost their zeal to serve the Lord. They had lost their first love. That's what Jesus Christ said. I have one thing against you and you have lost your first love. They lost their zeal for the Lord. The church in Smyrna did not do that. They did not capitulate. They did not compromise. And as we go on through the other churches, most of the other churches, except the church at Philadelphia, you will see that a lot of other churches gave in to temptation. They gave in to various forms of sin, to idolatry and various things. They compromised their lifestyle. The people of Smyrna, the Christians of Smyrna, the church in Smyrna refused to do that. They simply refused to compromise. They simply refused to capitulate and give in to worldly ways. And therefore the the, uh, the leadership was very particular that we need to get rid of these guys because these guys are becoming strong, they're becoming fixed in their ways, and this can be a problem to leadership. They are not malleable. They are not flexible. We cannot change their thinking. And it's for these two reasons that the Roman emperors were particular were consumed with the idea that Christianity had to be abolished and Christians had to be killed. No church suffered as much persecution as the church in Smyrna. God knew this. There's nothing that God does not know. And God knew it. God knew that this church was being tremendously persecuted. This church was reeling under the effects of persecution. And so Christ declares himself as the first and the last. In effect, he was saying, I was there from the beginning of time. And I will be there at the end of time. Okay? So he's given his eternality 
a starting point before man's existence, before the Romans existed. And he says, I will be there at the end of time. And he doesn't stop with that. He said, I am the one who died but came back to life. He was the one who was killed by the Jews and the Romans. He came back to life. Death could not hold Jesus Christ. The Jews could not kill him. The Romans could not kill him. And now he was writing to the church at Smyrna. At Smyrna. Persecutions may come, but be strong. You will live as I live. Christ never said or did anything without a reason. So when he said, I am the first and the last, the one who died, but is now alive, he was giving a message to that church. I will be there with you. I've gone through it. They killed me, but I came back to life. They could not hold me down. They may persecute you, but they cannot hold you down. You will be victorious. That was the message which Christ was giving in his very introductory message, introductory line, when he introduced himself. So there may be only four verses, but within that first introductory verse to the church at Smyrna, Christ has conveyed a huge lot of meaning. And as the church heard these words, this powerful message, powerful verse from the Lord, they would have thought, we need to persevere. We need to hold on. We need to hang on. We need to just live it out. Okay, because these Romans can do what they want. But we will not go. We will be here. That was it. That was the very simple thing that they did. And as the church also continued to hear these words and you know, read these words, they would have been reminded of what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah had said. Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. God just told them, Jesus Christ just said, I am the first and the last. This is exactly what Isaiah said when he said, God says, I am the first and I am the last. And then, beside me there is no God. Roman emperor, not God. Roman emperor is Roman emperor. Full stop. Beside me, there is no God. That was prophesied long time back. The church at Smyrna would have remembered these words now. Isaiah 48, verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. See, a repetition of the same thing. God emphasizes the same truth over and over and over again. And then for the church today, 
Christ re-emphasizes his eternality. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. Revelation 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now, you know, I found it very interesting when I read Isaiah versus Revelation to find that when actually God spoke to the Old Testament church, or when these words were written by the Old Testament prophet, which was what was seen by the early church, he just said, I am the first and the last. And they would understand him. But when God has to speak to us, the new generation, the modern generation, he has to repeat it in different words. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. Because in all likelihood, some of us don't understand what beginning and end is. Some of us don't understand what is the first and the last. Some of us don't understand what Alpha and Omega is. So hopefully, between these three phrases, which all mean the same thing, God is conveying a message to you and to me to say that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. Either we have reached to be a state of an unbelieving generation, or, unlike we generally, what we generally think, we have probably got a lesser level of understanding compared to people of the old. You know why I say this one? Because you all say that every progressive generation is smarter than the previous generation. Am I right? But God has to tell us in three times the same thing today, but he said the same thing only once in the past. That means they had a better understanding so please, let's recognize that probably our parents and our grandparents were smarter than us. Okay? And as parents, you and I are smarter than our children. My son is not here today. <laughs> so I have the freedom to say what I want to do. Okay. All right. So now let's move on to verse 9. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus confirms to the church at Smyrna that their deeds are well known to him. See, unlike the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna was not a big church. And Jesus needed to encourage these small group of believers at Smyrna, these small group of Christians at Smyrna, that they were not a forgotten people. Their works were recognized. Their uncompromising stance was recognized. And God knew that their persecution was because of their unwavering worship to him and not to Caesar or any of the other Roman emperors. Before we go any further, let me tell you something about this place called Smyrna. Can I have my first slide, please, sister? Now, Smyrna was reputedly a very beautiful city, a strategic port town 
it was actually called a garden city because in Asia Minor, as one of the cities of Asia Minor, it actually had huge gardens, flower gardens. You have seen Miracle Garden in Dubai? Okay, there were many Miracle Gardens in Smyrna. Okay, that's, what, that's the way Smyrna is described in, in history books. I, I wasn't there. Okay, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm slightly younger than Melchis, uh, Methuselah, but I wasn't there in Smyrna. Okay. Now, this is a huge, beautiful city situated in this place. Sister, can I have my first slide? If we did not have technology, I would have had a map, which would have been much easier and much faster. But you see, this is why I always keep harping on this point, that technology is not good. It doesn't work when you want it to work. Right, there it is. Now that, there are two stars, two red stars that you can see. The bottom star is Patmos, from where uh, John wrote the book of Revelation. Then you have Ephesus, which is the first point of call for the first letter, and then you go up into Smyrna. So it's a port city, okay? And then the rest of the cities will come around a little later. The word Smyrna comes from the word myrrh, which is an ointment, ointment used in embalming dead bodies. That's where you get the word Smyrna. It comes from the word myrrh. Now remember, wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh when they came to visit Jesus as a baby. Now if you turn to Mark 15, verse 23, you will read that Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh at his crucifixion. Okay, it's there in Mark 15, 23. Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh at his crucifixion. So myrrh has always been associated with suffering and death. And Smyrna carries that name. Persecution is there in the name of Smyrna. Because myrrh is associated with suffering, with death. History records that Smyrna was destroyed and rebuilt at least three, three times in the last 2,500 years. It was completely destroyed and completely rebuilt at least three times. Today it still exists. Sister, can I have my next slide? And it is the second largest city in Turkey. Smyrna is a living city. It goes by a different name. It goes by the name Izmir. Okay, Izmir stands at the same spot as Smyrna. It uses the same port, the estuary into the port area that was used during the time of Smyrna. Smyrna was a business city. Izmir is a business city. And it is the second largest city in Turkey. And there are over 250 churches in Izmir today of different denominations. Compare this with Ephesus. Revelation 2, verse 5. 
This is what Christ said to Ephesus, and we looked at this last time. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. There is no Ephesus today. There is no church that represents Ephesus today. Smyrna is still there. It's a thriving city with a different name. Ephesus is ruins. Okay. Smyrna is a living city. Smyrna is a city that was destroyed and rebuilt. And so they also know what it is when Christ said, I was killed and I, and I am now alive. Smyrna was killed a number of times and it became alive. See, people can understand things when it relates to them. So often we don't understand certain things in Scripture because we don't relate it to the context in which it was written. We need to look at why was something said to a particular people group? What was the thinking at that point? Would they be able to understand? Okay, and that's when you understand the truth and the depth of what is there in Scripture when you relate it and try to see what did it mean at that point of time? And what is the lesson I get out of it now for me to apply and use in my day-to-day -day living? So Smyrna was a city which many tried to kill, but it would not die. Let's get back to verse 9. And Jesus says, he knows their poverty, though they are rich. How do we understand this apparently contradictory statement? I know your poverty. Full stop. Clear statement. I know your poverty, though you are rich. Doesn't make sense. How could they be poor and rich at the same time? The church in Smyrna was a small, insignificant church. They were being kicked around. They were downtrodden. The city was thriving, but the church itself wasn't. In other words, they were materially poor. They were the lowest of the low. They had nothing to show by worldly standards. And that's why they are described as, we know, I know your poverty. You're materially poor. But their richness lay in their spirituality. They withstood temptation. They did not compromise. They knew their God. They trusted in Him. They persevered in their faith. They did not compromise in their walk with God. And that is what Christ says, I know your poverty, though you are rich. You are rich spiritually. You might be poor materially. Contrast this with something in the next chapter. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. This is what Christ writes to the church at Laodicea. Okay, verse 17. Because you say, 
I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the exact opposite of Smyrna. The people said they were rich because they had material wealth. They had, they were, they had everything that the world had. Okay, when we come to Laodicea, we'll see that they had satin and they had the best hospitals and they had huge, lot of stuff. They had industries. They had a fantastic canal system, something like the Falaj system that we have here, which went for miles together. So they were materially rich and they prided themselves on that. But in reality, spiritually, they were wretched, naked, blind. They had nothing. They were poor, spiritually. The church in Smyrna was materially poor, spiritually rich. And that's what God says, I know you. And that's what he tells us also today. Don't think that we're hiding anything from God. We can't. And if Jesus Christ was to stand in front of me right now, he'll say, I know what you say. I know what you do. So I better be careful. I know your life. You think you are somebody, but you are nobody. He could tell me that. And he could tell you that. He could tell us as a church. You think you are a big church, but you are nobody. So we have got to take our lessons from here. Now, in addition to all of that that he said in verse 9, as you continue reading verse 9, you will also see that Jesus Christ addressed the fact that the church at Smyrna also had to deal with people who were trying to subvert the teachings of Christ and turn them over to Satan. Doctrines which were not right. People who claimed to be Jews. People who claimed to come from the, from the synagogue. Who claimed to be from the age-old synagogue. So we know more. But they were giving doctrines which were not right. They were giving doctrines which were actually trying to turn the people. But the people were not turning. Okay, that's why the church never compromised over them. But they were still faced with these kinds of people who came in different deceiving garbs. They were actually satanic. Even though they claimed, they portrayed themselves to be Jews from the synagogue. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. Now don't listen to me and think that what I'm saying is holy truth. Go back home and check your Bible. Read your references. That's what the Bereans did when Paul went and spoke to them. Now who's greater than Paul other than Jesus Christ? As a teacher, Paul was great. But the Bereans went and rechecked the scriptures. Is this guy right? You don't know who's going to deceive us. You don't know who's going to speak the truth and who is going to twist the truth. And that's what they were facing with. But Christ said, I know that. I see that. 
That's verse 9. See, God knew that this church was a stable, steadfast, persevering church, and he commended them for it. Can you imagine the joy, the encouragement these words of Jesus Christ would have brought to the people of the church at Smyrna? In the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution, the God they worship tells them, you are doing great. I am there with you. You are spiritually rich, and I am addressing a letter to you. And then we come to verse 10, which is the warning which Jesus is giving to the church at Smyrna. They shouldn't now just sit back complacent. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Terrible things were yet to happen to the church because of their faith, and many would suffer. Some would even be put to death. Now, as the people heard these words, some might even have been reminded of what Jesus Christ said when he walked on this earth. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Matthew 10, 22. This is words of Jesus. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. That's what Jesus Christ said when he walked on the earth. And maybe the people of the church of Smyrna would have been reminded of these words. Yes, persecution comes. Trials are coming. Difficult times are coming. But we shall endure. Perseverance was running in the blood of the Smyrnians. Does it run in your blood and my blood? Will we persevere? Or will we be the first people to give up, deny, betray, run away? The apostles did it. One betrayed, one denied, the rest ran. I mean, if there was Olympics, then they would have won it. Now, Jesus Christ adds a little twist in verse 10. He says, the duration of the tribulation, it would be 10 days. Is there any significance in this 10 days? Now, many theories have been given by eminent men of God, and they are found in Christian literature. Okay, there are quite a few theories. Now, let me just tell you a few. Some suggest that the number 10 may have had cultural significance to the people of that area, and they would understand it. Okay, that might be one. Some others propose that it is related to the number of the Roman kings who would systematically try to destroy the church. It could be that. Some related to the 10 toes found in Daniel 2, or the 10 horns, found in Revelation 13, or the ten plagues seen in Egypt. It could be related to that. 
Some others say that it's just a number to designate a limited period of time. Now, if we read this in conjunction with Matthew 24, and can we turn to Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22? This is what we get. Matthew 24, 21 to 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, these days will be shortened. So 10, could that, how do you link this reference together? It simply may be that Christ is saying that the persecutions and tribulations would come, they would be there, they would exist, but they would be only for a short period of time, not unlimited. It would be for a short period of time for faithful believers. And the church in Smyrna has already been identified as an uncompromising church, a church which is not going to give up on Christ. And so Christ might have been telling them, listen, persecution is going to come, but you are faithful people. You are a persevering people. It shall be only for a short time for you. So this is yet another theory that's been there, which I tended to find quite interesting. And so we come to the final part, which I need to finish in the next uh, three and a half minutes. And that's found between the second part of verse 10 and verse 11, where we have our rewards. You will be granted the crown of life. And in verse 11, you shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, the people of Smyrna would clearly have understood the words crown of life. You see, they are in a port city in Asia Minor, and on the other side, you have the Aegean Sea, and just beyond that is Greece. Okay? And everybody knew that there was a great games which used to take place in Greece, which was called the Olympics. And these Olympics were a mixture, the ancient Olympics anyway, were held every four years, like they're done now, and they were a mixture of sporting events and religious discourses unlike the present Olympics, which is pure sporting events. There it used to be sporting events and religious discourses, because Greeks liked to talk. Winners in sporting events were not given gold, silver, or bronze medals, but they were instead given a crown of evergreen leaves, which was described as the laurel wreath. The biggest benefit of winning this laurel wreath, which used to be placed on their head, was that the winner was exempted from going to war for the next year. Remember, the Greeks were always at war. It was only during the time of the Olympics that they would stop the war, come, have your sporting events, go back, continue fighting. Okay? That's, if you read your history, that's what you will, you will see. But the winner of the laurel wreath was exempted from going to war which meant that if you didn't go to war, you are actually preserving your life. And so the, the Smyrnians would easily have understood that when they were promised a crown of life, if they would continue to be overcomers, 
they would understand that this was a promise of eternal life. A life in the presence of God. That is what the crown of life meant to them. It's an award, it's a reward that your life is preserved if you were an overcomer. So that was the first thing that they got. The second one, overcomers would not face second death. Turn with me to Revelation 21 verse 8. Revelation 21 verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The first death is the physical death that each of us will face at a God-appointed time. This is the death you and I face when we discard this earthly body. The second death is something totally different. And this refers to our spiritual life. If you choose not to repent of your sins, if you choose not to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you choose not to live in obedience to the Word of God, you will face the judgment of God and the eternal damnation in the lake of fire. And this is the second death. However, if you choose to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you choose to surrender every aspect of your life to His guidance, if you choose to walk in total obedience to His Word, you are putting to death your old spiritual life. And that's it. You have no second death. Because you have already done with it. Okay? So this is what is meant by the second death. Life eternal would be your portion. It would be awesome in the presence of God and not in the tortuous trappings of the lake of fire. These were the rewards. As I end my final words, what does all of this mean to you and to me today, the current church? Do you and I stand steadfast and firm in the face of persecution? Do you and I consistently persevere in our faith and trust the Lord? Have you and I truly surrendered our life to Christ? And do we live according to his word? He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Let's close our eyes. As we heard God's word. As we end up here. 
we have here and we heard the word again it's up to us how much we get to into is our life in our heart or we touched by this word you know where we are as a church and as a individual we are living in the last days the warning from the lord is coming again and again it is time to examine ourselves what kind of life we are living are we content with what we have are we ready to face the persecution which is around as we heard in the early days it is nothing what we are today let us prepare our hearts prepare our life to stand firm steadfast in our faith continue to love god and obey god ask of his forgiveness ask of his strength depend on him prefer to face everything gracious heavenly father we praise you and we thank you for this thing thank you for speaking to us again and again as a reminder thank you lord that you are preparing us lord for the last days and lord surely with your grace with your strength lord this church will prepare for to meet you as you are going to come thank you for the measure of faith to given to us o oh father help us to remain in this faith in this love as you want us to be in jesus precious name we pray now is the time for us to prepare for the lord's table i read from first corinthians chapter 11 from verse 22 on 23 onwards fire receive receive from the lord that which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death till he comes therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the lord's body for this reason many are weak and sick among you 
and many asleep but if you would church ourselves we would be church but when we are church we are chastened by the lord that we may not be condemned with the world once again it's a reminder for us before we come to the lord's table and we have to remember for what it is and it is not an ritual and it is once again it is a new testament ordinance and it is a commandments because repeatedly it is said in this scripture do this do this and also it is a memorial remember and remember repeatedly these verses are used and also it is a proclamation proclamation of god the lord's death to the world as we identify ourselves in the death of our lord jesus christ we have to proclaim the same message as a gospel to the coming the world and it is a communion and coming together union among ourselves and also believing that this com- communion is with our lord how do we observe it this has to be done with reverence and it is not just like as usual or casual it is with the reverence secondly it has to be done with self examination we have to examine ourselves about the past and the present and if we have any guilt or unforgiven sin in us and we have to as the lord to forgive and with a clear conscience we have to take part in this then it is only for those christians those are believers those who are accepted the lord jesus christ as the lord and savior and identify themselves with the immersed baptism and also it has to be done as often as possible means we do this monthly once that is gives us enough time to prepare ourselves to come before the lord now close our eyes let us bless the bread and wine which kept before us and examine yourself as we are going to pray gracious heavenly father we praise and we thank you for the privilege of coming in union with you father to take part in this lord's table father we thank you because it is it is the time that you remind each and every one of us that you send your son jesus christ to this world as he suffered on this earth and died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day and he ascended unto you o father and lord you gave us the great hope that you going to come lord and you are preparing ourselves on this earth this table reminds us the bread and the wine the body of your son jesus christ and also the blood lord we pray and you sanctify it as you are going to take in let lord the 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 let us remember that we take part in this table as you commanded us as an obedient and at the same time we examine ourselves and with come help us to come with a clear consciously 
our Lord into this communion table. Bless each and every one of us and also bless the bread and wine in the name of Jesus Christ. Dear children of God, as we have mentioned, it is only for the children of God, those who are obey the Lord into waters of baptism. And now, as you are prayed and you are led, please come in line as the ushers guides you. Thank you. To the table of mercy, prepared with the wine and the bread. All who are hungry and thirsty, come and your souls will be fed. Receive from his nails, God Eat of the light of salvation Drink of the blood of the Lamb On the night you were betrayed, you took the bread after giving thanks, you broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. And as you eat it, remember me. This is my body, broken for you. And as you eat it, remember me. On the night you were betrayed, you held the cup. After giving thanks, you lifted up. This is my blood, out for you. As you drink it, remember me. This is my blood, poured out for you. And as you drink it, remember me. So we thank you for the wine and for the bread. For we see the life you gave and the blood you shed. And we remember your wondrous love. You gave your body, you shed your blood. And we remember your wondrous love. Shed your blood by 
your blood, you have saved us by your blood, you have freed us by your blood, we can enter into your holy place by your love, you forgave us by your power, you have raised us by your blood, precious blood of the To the table of mercy, prepared with the wine and the bread. All who are hungry and thirsty, come and your soul will be fed. Come at the lost invitation, receive former's name, can't have. Eat of the bread of salvation, drink of the blood of the Lamb. On the night you took the bread After giving thanks you broke it and said This is my body broken for you And as you eat it remember me This
worship the Lord for this opportunity to dine with him, for this opportunity to receive his blood, for this opportunity to eat his flesh. He says, if you don't do this, you don't have any part with me. I want us to appreciate him because we have done this. We have part with him. Father, we exalt your name. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to do this you have commanded. We thank you because we have part with you. Thank you because we are yours, O Lord. And we declare it by disobedience to what you say we should do in your remembrance. We glorify your name. Father, O Lord, let your blood take over our lives in the name of Jesus. Let your blood take over. Let your blood be in charge. Let your blood strengthen us spiritually to become an overcomer in the name of Jesus. Your word says, they that overcome shall be given the crown of life. By your blood today, almighty God, we receive the strength to endure to the end. We receive the we receive the strength to be an overcomer. Thank you, my Father. We give you all glory and praise. Thank you, Jesus. For those of us who will be traveling, Almighty God, we thank you for the opportunity for your children that they will travel. We pray, Lord, they will travel safely in the name of Jesus. And you will go with them, O oh Lord. And you will make their way straight in the name of Jesus. They will come back safely. Not only will they come back, they will come back with testimonies. Thank you, my Father. We give you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Let us share the grace in fellowship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.